Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel according to John chapter 8. We continue our study in this message of the Gospel of the Kingdom. I'll be reading today verses 12 through 20 of John chapter 8, reading from the English Standard Version. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where you come from or where, you, where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written, and notice he says, in your law. Why wouldn't he say our law? I think you know the answer to that question. As, as many times have I tried to point out to you that the, these men, these Pharisees, have developed it. Anyway, I don't digress on that, but just pay attention to what Jesus In your law, he says, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father, for if you knew me, you would also know my father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And there ends the reading of God's infallible and holy word. You know, there's a couple of old sayings that go something like this. You can tell a lot about a person by the company they keep. Or you can tell a lot about a person by who their friends and or enemies are. We have seen in our study of John's gospel that there were many people who believed in Jesus, but there were others who did not believe in him and indeed hated him to the point of plotting his murder. Following the incident that we talked about last time from the earlier part of this chapter, the, the woman who was conveniently set up and caught in adultery, Jesus has now returned to teaching those in the temple at, who were there for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And yet again, the Pharisees have come to him to confront him. They won't let up. They've tried three different ways now to have him arrested or do away with him. He's outsmarted them and outdone them each time, and here they come again. Now, in this discussion and what Jesus says, there are three clear, distinct groups of people that are referred to in this dramatic encounter, and I would like for us to take note of all of them. There is, first of all, for example, Jesus himself. But there are also his friends and there are also his enemies that are described or that he refers to here. So let's consider, first of all, what he says here about himself. In verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. You know, all the way back in John chapter 1, John said in John 1, 4 through 9, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So Jesus is making a declaration about himself in the very way that he's phrased these words. You know, in the Older Testament, light is frequently used as a visible symbol for God. And when the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness following their exodus from Egypt, it was the glory cloud of Jehovah God that lighted their way into the promised land. In Psalm 119, we read that the word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. 
And in Isaiah, we read, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. This is a, a, an early messianic reference to King Jesus. I will give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. As I said, those words were spoken about the Messiah whose kingdom would come with the birth of Jesus. So in declaring himself to be the light of the world, Jesus means to tell everyone then and now that this world in which we live is a world in desperate need of spiritual light. That was true in Jesus' own day, and it certainly is true today. In spite of all of our advances in science and technology, in spite of all of our sophisticated lifestyles and the wealth of knowledge, of all aspects of human life, we live in a society that is covered in darkness. And the Lord is the only remedy to that problem. Jesus declares that all those who would walk out of this darkness must do so with Him. They must come to Him. They must walk with Him because He is the source of light and life. Now, in the days of Jesus, there were those who sought light and life from sources other than the triune God. For their example, there were some who believed that imperial Rome, the Roman government, the Roman state, which styled itself as the bringer and giver of civilization, the, the builder of roads, the, the bringers of peace, Rome was the light of the world. There were others who sought light from the pagan religions. They worshipped an army of gods and goddesses and angels and spirits and demons. And there were others who were not given to such plebeian pursuits. They were philosophers and uh, practitioners of human reason and logic. This is the true path of light and light. The followers of Aristotle and Plato, such as that. Now, they were all of them absolutely wrong to the last man. That this darkness is still a potent force today. In today's world. It is clearly seen in the fact that there are many people who believe just like the people did in the times of Jesus. Today, we have many people who have set all of their hopes for light and life, for example, on what the federal government can give them or do for them. That's the modern day version of imperial Rome. Then we have the new religions of technocracy and earth worship and transhumanism that are nothing more than the ancient paganism dressed up in modern appearance. Today's pagans are those who believe that man is ultimately perfectible. And if we can just genetically modify the DNA of our human bodies, if we can educate enough people to think like we think they ought to think, we can conquer poverty and illness, and, and human evolution can be something that we can drive. This is how they think. But the words of Jesus still stand in total opposition to all forms of paganism. I am the light of the world, he said. But in saying that, Jesus was sending, I'll call it a coded message, to the Pharisees, the enemies of Jesus. Notice he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 6, Jesus declared several times, I am the bread of life. Now, we can see that God is light in that his word and truth have done away with spiritual darkness. And we can also see, too, that God is like bread to all those who hunger for righteousness and truth. He feeds them the bread of his divine word. And using that kind of imagery, Jesus was communicating who he was in a way that was common, typical of that time. 
And there was nothing unique about that. But what was of immense, enormous significance in his phraseology was his deliberate use of I am. Here was an unmistakable claim by Jesus that he and Jehovah God are one. And I ask you to recall the words that we heard earlier from our Older Testament reading. God spoke to Moses, and when Moses asked God for his name, what did God reveal his name to be? I am. That was not just uh, uh, some simple way that Jesus was speaking about himself. That just happened to coincide with and correspond to the exact same thing Jehovah had said to Moses in revealing himself. This is Jesus making an unmistakable point to those Pharisees who would not have missed for a moment what Jesus was telling them. He is the light of the world. He is the giver of the law. He is the author of life. It's not their Pharisaic Talmudic traditions. It's not the culture or the law of Rome or Egypt. It's not the prognostifications of their philosophers, their sages or seers or scientists or mystics or holy men. No, only Jesus is the great I am, and he alone is the true light of the world. That's what he's talking about himself. But secondly, there's another category of people. He's talking about his friends. He who follows me, he said, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In other words, if we want to be friends of Jesus, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus, the old song goes. But how far off the rails do these old hymns like that go if they don't point out that we must be among those who follow him, not that we have a warm, fuzzy feeling about him. See, the word here translated follow, akaluthon in the Greek, it means specifically to follow as a disciple follows a master. It means, another way of saying that is, to be in obedience. Now, unfortunately, there are some churches today who don't think straight about this, and they think that they are friends of Jesus even though they don't follow him. They don't obey his law in Holy Scripture. Or they may have a general belief in Jesus as having been a good man, or maybe they even believe that he was the divine Son of God. But they don't follow his path, his law. They don't live for him. And if you examine their lives closely, you will see that they walk just as much in darkness as those who don't even claim to be friends of Jesus. And you see, following Jesus is of tremendous importance. I say that because the Scriptures emphasize this. For example, in Luke's Gospel, we read this about following him. This is from Luke 11. I'm reading it from sort of a paraphrased translation. A woman in the crowd called out to Jesus, Happy is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. But Jesus said, No, happy are those who hear the teaching of God and obey it. Later we will read of Jesus making another unmistakable declaration about what it is that characterizes all those who would claim to be his friends when we get to John 14, where he says in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments, obey my commandments. He who has my com This is verse 21 of John 14. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So the reality is that Jesus' true friends follow him, and to follow him means to commit ourselves wholly and entirely to him. To be committed to him and his word as our only leader and lawgiver. And to submit our lives to him in all things, whether it be religion, 
education, marriage, everything in life. So, as I said a moment ago, the word or the idea of following in this sense is another word for obeying in that sense. It is also just another word, by the way, for believing. As far as the Lord is concerned, Jesus has no friends who do not believe in and follow him. And anyone who says that they believe in him, but who does not follow and obey him, is only fooling themselves. But to what end do we, as friends of Jesus, follow him? John 8, verse 12, different translation, Whoever follows me will have a life filled with light and will never live in the dark. That's the end. That's what we get from this. If we follow Jesus, we will not walk in the spiritual darkness that so blinds everybody else. We will not be left in ignorance. We won't walk in doubt and uncertainty. No, we will clearly see the way of the kingdom. There are many people today, perhaps even some of us in this room, who enjoy themselves with lights, I'll put that in air quotes, lights that will become useless in the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord testifies that Christ gives the true light to everyone who follows him and that that light will never fail. And that leads me then to the third and final category of people that are referred to here. And that is what he says about his enemies. Now, I'm going to read verse 19 again, John 8, 19, different translation. Where is your father, they asked. And Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. So, for all of their pretended wisdom, the Jews are ignorant of God. Now, there are several reasons why that was so. For one thing, they judged by appearances. In verse 15, Jesus declares, and this is from the ESV, You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Now, that's maybe a little cumbersome phrase translated. I think it's closer this way. You judge me by human standards, but I don't judge anyone by those standards. The Jews then... And now, by the way, then and now, they look upon Jesus and all they see is a man. They judge according to the flesh. But Jesus does not judge that way. He judges by what is true. Now, another reason for their ignorance is their own stubbornness and self-delusion. You know, friends, this type of willful ignorance is so common in our time. There are thousands of thousands of people in this world today who are brilliant by the world's standards. They are experts in the fields of science and mathematics, and they can argue and reason about religion and philosophy, and yet they really know nothing about God or reality. You know, Jesus is declared in the beginning of this gospel, in the beginning was the Logos. We translate it in in most of our English Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, but it's the Greek word Logos, which has a very deep, rich meaning in that culture. And one of the better ways to understand that, in the beginning was the ultimate reality, and the ultimate reality was God and with God. And so, in other words, Jesus is declaring or is declared to be the source of all true reality. Now, think about what that means for anyone who rejects God's ultimate reality, the logos of God. Anyone who says regarding Christ our Lord, that they are his enemies, that they will not have this man rule over them. They are at war with God and ultimate reality. 
They are on a crash course for death and doom and destruction, as is anyone who gets on their bandwagon. People today think that they're so smart. Now, to be sure, there are many people who are willing to admit that there is some sort of you know, intelligent force that created all things. That's one way they, they try to retain some pretended belief in God. But you see, God's character and His attributes revealed and talked about in Holy Scripture, His holiness, His purity, His justice, His unchangeableness, all of those are things for which they have no regard. Not only are they unfamiliar with those things, the very subject of God's nature and character makes such people very uncomfortable. They don't like to even think about it. They don't like to think about it because it makes them painfully aware that they are God's enemies. And as long as they prefer the darkness of their ignorance to the light of God's truth, the truth that declares that if you would know the only true God, then you must come through Him through Christ alone. That was the one thing the Jews were not and are not willing to do. They hated Christ, and in so doing, they hated God. Those men didn't even know who the true God was anyway. Again, in verse 18, Jesus says, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And now just look again how they respond to him. Where is your father? And where is your father? Now, there are two things at work in that question that they pose to him. One is that of an insult. Since Jesus had no human father, see, the leaders of the Jews had early on began spreading the rumor that Jesus was the illegitimate son of Mary, and depending on the the version of the story, some unknown man, or the, the more popular was that he was the product of an illicit union of Mary and a Roman centurion. So when Jesus refers to his father, they sneer at him. And with utter disdain, where is your father? Now when we get to verse 39 of this chapter, they will return to that line of insult. But the other thing at work in this question is inexcusable ignorance and rebellion. Here are these great and learned men, the leaders of the nation of Israel, the people to whom God has entrusted the wisdom of the law and the prophets, and they don't even recognize the Son of God as He is in their midst. And they really, they really don't because they were ignorant of the true God. They had the Word of God made flesh standing right in front of them. He was in their midst. They had the Word of God written available to them. And for all of that, they were still ignorant of the true God. And we know The Jews were ignorant because they refused to recognize true reality, the logos of God. That is what Jesus tells them here. You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Many years ago, I heard a story about a woman living in Denver who told her pastor about something that happened to her when she went to a, a jewelry store. She was shopping for a necklace with a pendant, with a cross pendant, and she asked the clerk to show her necklaces like that. Let me see your necklaces that have a cross on them. And the man behind the counter looked over his stock in the display case, and he said, Lady, do you want a plain gold cross, or do you want one with a little man on it? You see, friends, that's all Jesus is to some people. Just a little man on a piece of jewelry. But the real question is, who is he to us? 
Are we ignorant of who He really is? Are we one of those who claim to believe in God and based on that kind of tip of the hat, wink of an eye, familiarity, fool ourselves into thinking that we are right with God? Are we friends of Jesus today? In other words, do we follow Him as a disciple follows his master? For the Pharisees, the chips were down and the line was drawn in the sand. On one side, Jesus described his followers. On the other side, he listed his enemies. And now by means of his divinely inspired word, the Lord looks to all of us, whether we're in this room or listening by means of audio, and he asks, on which side of the divide are you? Let us pray.